But when the time came, he got on the train and disappeared, leaving his bride standing at the altar. He stayed away about three months, then came back and started courting Mama. When they were engaged, he was 25, and she was just 17. But Mama was really feisty. She told him she wasn't going to even dress for the ceremony until she knew he was standing by and ready. She sat in a chair in the preacher's house with her wedding dress on the bed until Papa arrived at the church next door and the preacher came over and certified that he was there. Only then did Mama get up, put on her wedding dress, and join him for the ceremony. My mother continued, The newlyweds moved to a little settlement called Brooklyn, just a crossroad with about a dozen families, where Papa had his first job as schoolmaster. Mama always told us about the first meal she cooked. Papa brought home some oysters, and she said the more she boiled them, the tougher they got. Mama took care of the house and all of us children, with not much help from Papa. She had three children, one right after the other, and then Papa's brother either was shot or killed himself, and Mama took his two boys, my double first cousins, Mama said. They were Catholics, and we made fun of them when they knelt down to pray or said their catechism. So Mama had five babies at once none old enough to go to bed without help. Then she skipped three years and I came along, followed by three more, all of us two or three years apart. That ends my mama's quote. My grandmother, Ida, was calm, a homebody, and seemed to be perfectly satisfied with her way of life. She would spend all day in the house and garden, first preparing food for a big family to getting the children off to school and cleaning the house. Then she would put on her sunbonnet and work in the large garden, bringing a basket full of seasonal vegetables back into the house. She always cooked a big dinner at noon, including pies, cakes, or fruit puffs for a constant supply of dessert. After the dishes were washed, she would clean the kitchen, wash and iron the family's clothes, and take care of the kids coming home from school, being sure that they did their chores and completed their homework assignments. Then she had to prepare supper, including leftovers plus a few fresh-cooked items. She was up each morning at 4.30 and would light up the wood stove while Papa, if he was at home and it was winter, would make a fire in the fireplace. On Sundays, everyone went to Sunday school and church, so Grandma had to prepare most of a large dinner in advance, maybe cooking the biscuits and fried chicken after the services were over. For one afternoon a week, she joined some of the other ladies of the community in a quilting bee, all of them sewing while they discussed affairs of their families and the community. I can see now that hers was a complete life, not much different from that of most Southern women of the time. She was proud and grateful to serve the other members of her family, who more or less took her for granted, just helping with the chores when she asked them. My mother told me, quote, At times when we were raised, there were real hard times, but we got by. I can remember when Mama would send me down to the store to get 25 cents worth of steak, and it would feed all nine of us. Unquote. My grandfather was as wide, roving, and flamboyant as my grandmother was home-loving and quiet. He was born in 1863 near Columbus, Georgia, and taught school for several years in Brooklyn before moving ten more miles to the larger town of Richland. Jim Jack was a man's man. He was tall, slender, handsome, and always well-groomed and neatly dressed. Even on work days, he preferred to wear a bow tie never a pre-tied one. Jim Jack was totally committed to mastering the prevailing political situation, as his daughter, my mother Lillian, 
described proudly, and I quote her, My father would tell you pretty close to what vote any man would get, not only in the county, but even in the whole state. All my life, when I was a little girl, until I left home to be a nurse, I saw him do this. For local elections, he would write out his predictions of the outcomes and seal them in an envelope. The county clerk would put them in his safe and then compare the results after votes were counted. But it was just interesting to me to see the lengths he would go to keep up with politics. They would come in droves to see my papa. My grandpa, of necessity, also demonstrated a remarkable understanding of national elections. During those years that long preceded a civil service system in the U.S. government, he was nimble enough on his political feet to guess right in several presidential elections, shifting party allegiance to retain his appointment as postmaster in Richland. Earlier, when Warren Harding was elected in 1920, Grandpa was...